are all you patient penguins. Thank you so much for joining us for a brand new episode of A Little Greener. It's been so long, but we're so happy to be back. I am one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and I am joined today by our wonderful host, Kristen, who you may remember. It's been a few months, but Kristen was our interim host for the summer. Well, Casey was out on maternity leave, and we're also joined by Casey! Hello, everyone! (laughs) Hi, Kristen. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk right over you. Hey, Kristen. Hello. Welcome back, and uh, and welcome back, Casey. We're so happy to see your face and hear your voice again, and be back all together. Yeah, I feel like I'm, like, stretching out an old muscle that I haven't, haven't worked in a while. I'm so excited. Well, at this point, none of the three of them. Right. I got to get back into this, man. So who knows? Who knows what we're going to get out of tonight's episode. But I'm sure excited to be back with all of you and to put out some more content for all you listeners. So thank you for waiting so patiently. I sort of dropped the ball. Holidays and life and we didn't know what our schedule was going to be for a while, so that's why we had radio silence for so long. Uh, but we are back. We plan on being back. We'll get more into the schedule of things as we wrap up our episode tonight. But ladies, it's it's good to see you. How's everybody doing? How's everybody been? Uh, tired. I mean, yeah. as we're recording this, we're just a couple days into the new year. So happy new year to all listeners. Holiday season is, you know, exciting, but also a little stressful at times. So I was very fortunate to have a couple days off work and saw a lot of my family and that was all wonderful, but it's a lot of social interaction and I am a little sleepy, but very good. It's World Introvert Day as we're recording this. So shout out to all the introverts out there who are recovering from the holiday season. Uh, Casey, you've had a dramatic life change since we talked to you last. How are you doing? How's the fam? Sure have. Fam is great. It's been like seven months. I can't handle that. It's wild. I've got a little girl. Um, She is magical and unrelenting in her needs <laughs> as all almost seven months are so she's popping a couple teeth and about to crawl and still not sleeping so great so I am kind of perpetually sleepy but that's part of my new year's resolution is to get to, on a road to better sleep so I have more energy for things that I love like podcasting so I'm glad to be back I am back back so I'm excited. Yeah, that's a good resolution to have. Yeah, Sleep is say, good. more power to you with that. that I only have so much control, but right. I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. Do what you can do. All right. In tonight's episode, Kristen, this is kind of your brainchild. So I, I know you've got a question to kick us off here as we dive into our topic. Yes, I've been thinking about this episode for a while. So I'm very, very excited for tonight. So even though we don't have a lot of time on our hands, <laughs> do you guys have any hobbies that you like to do in your spare time? I would say that I probably have the most spare time of three of us and probably the least hobbies <laughs> that I used to fill them in. You guys know I'm a reader. That's probably the biggest fun thing that I'll do in my spare time. Reader and a a wannabe bird watcher. I don't really know anything about bird watching, but I like to go out, take walks, take my camera, take my Merlin bird ID app, get some nature time. I would say that those are probably my two biggest hobbies, which makes me feel very, very boring. But there you go. Not boring. I love it. Not boring. And you're a birder. You're not a wannabe birder. You <sighs> you, you go out and you watch birds. You can be beginner level, beginner level birder. I've been a beginner level birder for like 15 years. <laughs> That's fine. Still you're counts. But yeah, you guys, totally. I know you are both much craftier than I am, which has to do with tonight's episode but what what about you guys yeah I like to write and I do different types of crafts and when I had free time now I'm trying to again build that time back in probably the last time I did anything hobbyish was work adjacent in that I decided I wasn't going to paint cards for all my coworkers 
And so I broke out my watercolors and started going on it and then realized that I had way more coworkers than I initially was anticipating <laughs> and had signed myself up for like 30 cards accidentally. But it was really nice, again, to like stretch that muscle that hadn't been exercised in a while. And it was peaceful and it was a lot more gratifying than like sitting on the couch and watching TV, which is what I've been spending a lot of my non-piper time doing. I think you're selling yourself a, a little short. Um, you said you like writing. Casey, you're like writing a book right now. I think that is amazing. Oh, thank you. I wouldn't qualify it as right now, but I have. <laughs> it's <laughs> in progress. Yes, it's in progress. Yes. <laughs> well, I attempt to be crafty myself. I used to do a lot of photography and a lot of painting occasionally some drawing, but I, for a while, was kind of in a funk and had no creative energy. But this year, I kind of dove back into it and I've been a little bit more crafty. And so that is what really kind of sparked my idea for this episode is I kind of wanted to look into the environmental impact of art and art supplies. So that is why we are here today to chat about that. Sounds good. Well, thanks, Kristen, for getting us into it. Everybody stick around. We will be right back with the discussion on the art of conservation in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone, to our episode on art. So I have a question. Are there certain types of art that come to mind as either being a sustainable form of art or on the opposite end of the spectrum, something that's very, very not sustainable? Casey, I'm curious your thoughts. Not being a crafty person, this is very much not something that I had thought about prior to this episode. So Kristen, I'm I'm glad you suggested it. As somebody who has done it, Casey, did you have any thoughts jump to your mind? <laughs> Weirdly, okay, this is one that's almost art adjacent, but I think of this as an unsustainable form of art. I see people, like if you're ever scrolling through Instagram and you see these beautiful like rock arrangements and things that are used natural materials can be like extremely sustainable works of art but then you see sometimes like people stacking the rocks on top uh -huh. of each other in an artful way in the middle of a stream and all of a sudden you're starting to tip into habitat destruction unintentionally and so that's sort of this weird bridge that I think of but I honestly have not really thought critically about the environmental impact maybe because my art supply seems so small scale like a little piece of watercolor paper and you know pencils don't feel like there's a huge impact but there is a lot of waste when it comes to these sort of crafts so I'm I'm excited to kind of learn a little bit more about them yeah and I would say that's the too long didn't read version of this podcast episode is that I don't think that there's any any typical thing in the art world that is like oh my gosh this is a huge source of environmental concern but if this is something that you enjoy doing as a hobby, and for those of you that are not artists like me, don't stop listening because we're going to talk about things like kids' arts and crafts and even like painting your house or you know, whatever. You know, I think there will be little things that apply. Um, but this is more of a if this is something that you're interested in or something that you happen to need or a hobby that you want to pick up, there are lots of little ways that you can think about the environment and make small swaps or consider the way that you're doing things in terms of the environmental impact, which I think no matter what your hobby is, is an important thing to think about. And just to build off that a little bit, throughout this episode, you know, a couple different mediums, we won't hit everything, of course, but the purpose of this episode is not to say don't do a certain thing form of art so we're very pro art do art very pro art yes there's not necessarily a bad 
form. We're not going to be telling anyone don't do this, but hopefully we'll provide some suggestions on maybe how to make your arts and crafts greener while still continuing to do what you love to do. Yeah. So let's talk about a big one that I think probably jumps to a lot of people's mind when you think about art, and that is painting. And again, not a whole lot of data on the environmental impact of especially when we're talking about like artist painting. You can find a little more when you come to things like painting houses, industrial painting, that sort of thing. There's not a lot of impact on the environmental impact of art painting. So most of these are just going to be little things to consider. There are different types of paint as well. I felt so much like a fish out of water as I was reading through these things because I don't paint. I was like, man, I need to find an arts and crafts store and just walk through the paint aisle so that I know what the heck I'm talking about. But there are different kinds of paints. We think about acrylic paints. We think about oil paints. And we think about watercolors. Kristen, Casey, as the artists in residence, have you do you paint what kind of paints do you use Casey you already talked about this a little bit but I, I use watercolors um I use acrylics and then in college I took an oil painting class which I think if you're doing right it requires so much more energy than I have um because it dries extremely slowly there are different ways of thickening and thinning the paints yeah. that are involved and you don't want to do it in an enclosed room because it gets very fumey <laughs> yeah I'm so glad you said that because as I was reading through these different types I was like yeah no <laughs> you can make some beautiful stuff but I, it is yeah, I, I, if I were gonna paint that would definitely be the last one that I would pick up just for the complexity that it seemed to have what about you Kristen so I use mostly acrylic paint. It seems like a nice happy medium between watercolor and yeah. oil. Oil, I have never even tried. I'm not opposed to trying it. It just is very intimidating to me. Then I have just in the last year or so started dabbling with watercolor just because I really like the look of watercolor. But that is also intimidating because it's a lot more permanent. If you mess up, it is very hard to fix. But it is so, so pretty. So I've done a little bit of watercolor, but mostly acrylic. So for artists, there are reasons that you might choose one medium over the other, just personal preference, but there are like different, I don't want to say like looks or finishes that you might be able to get different vibrancies in the color and that sort of thing that might lead you to choose one of these over the other, but they do have some differences in the way they're used. And so oil paints, you have to have usually some kind of solvent or paint thinners cleanup is much more difficult. So let's talk just really briefly about the different types. Acrylic is a water-based paint. I don't want to go too in-depth to the different components of paint, but there has to be some sort of liquid in each of these paints. So acrylic is water-based. Pigments are suspended in an acrylic polymer emulsion and plasticizers which gives you some clue as to some of the environmental impacts that it might have. But it is a water-based paint. Oil paints are obviously oil-based. Pigments are suspended in oil. Usually, apparently, this is linseed oil, although it can be natural or synthetic oils. A lot of what I was reading seemed to suggest that in terms of toxicity or environmental impacts, the solvents and the cleanup is the more problematic part of this than the paint itself as compared to the other types of paint. But we'll talk about some of the, the, the different issues with paints in just a moment. And then of course you have watercolors, which are also water-based paint. Pigments are bound with a gum acrylic, which I gather is a natural material. We're not talking like a synthetic plastic here. So when you're thinking about paints in general, potential toxic substances in paints include petroleum, resin, or plastic compounds. So we think about the fossil fuel component here. Heavy metals, so some pigments in particular have heavy metals, and heavy metals leaching into the environment either from mining or from landfills can build up in your soil or your water and build up in the food chain. So that's the issue with them. In terms of like toxicity and threat to yourself, it seems like this heavy metal might be more of an issue if you are like mixing your own paints, which I didn't even know was a thing. And 
this is something that you are probably familiar with to some extent, even if you are not an artistic painter, because at least here in the United States, we're aware of lead paint. So lead is a heavy metal that can be found in paint and has been banned. So some of these toxic sub substances that have previously been used in paints, you can now no longer use. Another potential toxic substance in paints are volatile organic compounds or VOCs. This is another thing that you might be familiar with if you ever painted a room in your house, because you hear about this a lot with house paints that you should look for paints that are low in VOCs. Uh, basically, these compounds can react to form ozone, which we've talked about before, it's a greenhouse gas. They can also be harmful to breathe in. So look for low VOCs in your house paints. The big thing, big takeaway for me from all of that is that it's important to look at ingredients, both for your own safety when you're using the paint, but also for disposal is the big thing, I think, when we're talking about environmental impact. So Kristen, Casey, what do you know about this? How do you dispose of your paints, your cleaners, your wastewater that's associated with paint? How do you dispose of all of that? So I know with house paints, like we let them dry before and basically allow them to become a solid that that gets thrown into the landfill. But I'm going to be honest, and I haven't critically thought about this yeah. generally when I'm painting, and I have definitely washed things down the drain that should not be going down the drain. I think that that is fair because I, I don't know. I think it's just one of those things that we feel like this is just so commonplace. I think this happens with other materials too, even if we're just talking about things like cooking grease sometimes that, you know, people might not always realize isn't supposed to go down the drain. So I think that's understandable. What about you, Kristen? Anything in particular? All versions of paint in our household go to a hazardous waste disposal. So Central Indiana has a pretty good service, a free service available for getting rid of hazardous waste, light bulbs, batteries, things like that. And it's pretty regularly available. And we have a location that's like five minutes from our house and it's open one time a month. It's free to use. And so we've been pretty good about disposing of, you know, paint cans. But I also put in like my little tubes of acrylic paint when I'm done, even nail polish. With the water, though, that just goes down the drain. That's probably not what you're supposed to do, but I do use a reusable jar. I have like an old pickle jar that I use, yeah. so I'm reusing that jar every time. But yeah, that uh, paint water just goes down the drain. I use water-based paints, and so I'm naive and think that it can just go down with the rest of the water. No, I think I really feel like that is, like I said, pretty commonplace. Based on my understanding of this, and again, I feel like there was very little actual data or solid information that I could find uh, on this, but I'll talk about disposal in just a second. I want to quickly mention just in terms of safety and ingredients and things like that, one thing that you can look for just in terms of safety for yourself is looking for labels that carry a certification. Apparently, there is an AP, that stands for Approved Product Seal from nice. the Art and Creative Materials Institute Incorporated. And this means that the product quotes have been evaluated by a qualified toxicologist for both acute and chronic hazards and are labeled in accordance with federal and state art material labeling laws. Again, a thing that I didn't know existed, but there you go. So that's something that you can look for when you're purchasing paint. In terms of disposal, I was finding so certainly don't dump your paint down the drain but also don't dump your wastewater down the drain some things that i was reading were basically just citing microplastics but also noting that things like washing synthetic materials in your washing machine which is a thing that i do all the time that's going to be a much higher you know so this is this is going to be a very small uh, relatively speaking, uh, but that would be a reason that they would suggest not to even dump your wastewater down the drain. So what they would say is to just collect, have a container, have a reusable container that you 
dump your wastewater in, have an old bucket or something that's sitting in and out of the way place where you dump that wastewater, you just let it evaporate over time. And then those any solids that are left, you can just wipe out and throw in the trash can instead of having it go down the drain. So that's the suggestion that I found. So same thing, like when you're rinsing your brushes, you can add that water to the bucket. I think from like my perspective on this, I'm thinking, I mean, acrylics, I end up with a lot more like murky paint water that has a lot of like I could squish my brushes off into their watercolors I'm like imagining how long that would take and where I would need to keep it to make sure it didn't get gnats in it and my cat couldn't get it and my kid couldn't get it so I think that there are like additional considerations that I would really have to think about how to do that best Thank you for saying that because watercolor is the one that I know the least about. This is mostly talking about acrylic paints right now. Yeah. I did not clarify. So thank you for that. I found very little on watercolor in terms of disposal. <laughs> so we can see what we can find more about that. But yes, thank you. This is specifically talking about acrylic right now, wastewater. Appreciate the clarification. Um, so that's a suggestion for that. And then, yeah, if you have any old or unused paints, letting that dry out. And in terms of acrylic paints, I found that both things are okay. If you have dried, if your acrylic paint has dried out, that can be thrown away or taken to a hazardous waste facility. I've found either of those options given as safe ones. Oil paints and all of the solvents and cleanup materials used for oil paints are hazardous waste. None of that stuff should go down the drain. None of that stuff should be thrown away. Um, I found that basically anything that has touched solvents that are used with oil paints should be stored in an airtight container before being taken to a hazardous waste facility because these materials are flammable. So that's what I found on paint. You could also look at making your own paint. So using natural materials, things like leaves, berries, spices, there's lots of resources that you can find on the World Wide Web about how to make paints using natural materials too. That sounds so fun. Very that, messy, that's... but I I think my daughter would love that if we like mashed up some berries and just said, have at it. I have done just in this last year, uh, I've painted with soil. So tying back into a previous episode we did on soil water conservation. So that's kind of my my realm of conservation right now. And we had like a training day where we were going around and, and sharing different educational and outreach events. And this was one of them. So someone brought in soil with different contents of clay and it had different minerals in it and that kind of thing. And the shade varied quite a bit and you could actually do some pretty cool painting. So that's a fun activity for kids and adults. Yeah, I do feel like this sounds like a fun camp activity or something. However, I would also love to see what an artist could produce with some of these things, you know, just to see obviously the vibrancy and the textures and all of that are not going to be the same as if you were using actual paints. But I would love to see an artist do work with some of these natural materials just to see what it would look like. Well, even thinking like art has been part of human culture for so yeah. long, like we find human art dating back thousands of years and thinking of all the different materials they had to play with, like We've been able to make long-lasting art out of natural materials before. So, yeah, I think that's a really fascinating direction to go down. Fundraiser for somebody in the future. <laughs> uh, real quick, let's touch on painting supplies. This will just take a moment because it's similar to many of the things that we've talked about in previous episodes. You think about paintbrushes, instead of just doing plastic paintbrushes, you can look for brushes with bamboo handles or Wood handles that are certified by the Forest Stewardship Council or FSC, those do exist. I looked them up. Same thing with paper. If you're painting on paper, you can look for recycled or FSC certified paper. Canvases, painting canvases are often made from cotton, which I think we've also talked about before is a crop that can have a higher environmental impact, in particular in terms of water use. 
So some things that you can do is I found at least one company that was selling canvases made from recycled plastic, actually, stretched over a recycled frame. So you can do some searches and see what uh, companies that you can find for things like that. There are also ways that you can reuse canvases, obviously not if you're planning on keeping your painting, but if you're doing this more as just a release, uh, you want to paint something, keep it for a while, and then you want to paint over it. Painters, again, you know more about this than I do, but there are ways and there are methods that you can look up in terms of how you can sand that painting down and reuse your canvas. All right. I have some pro tips from someone who has way too many art supplies organize your art supplies know what you have and take care of them because I have moved so many times in the last five years or so and trying to do these watercolor cards I realized I had no idea where any of my paintbrushes were so Andrew helped me dig them up but I also realized that all of my art supplies are kind of everywhere. Some of the acrylic paints, because I hadn't used them for so long, had separated. And so lots of them aren't usable anymore. Or if there's a loose cap, some of them had dried out, whereas they might have been usable otherwise. So I think really having your art supplies kept in good condition and knowing where they're at. So before you impulse buy more paper or canvas boards before you go out and get more paint you can always kind of know what you've got and then if you've got friends who also like arts I'm definitely someone who's like dipped her toe in a bunch of different things and I'm not necessarily actively pursuing every one of those little art paths like I've done acrylics on wood acrylics on canvas watercolors on you know, watercolor paper is more where I'm at now. So if I had a friend who needed a canvas, I've got extra canvases. So instead of thinking first, like buy something new, buy something, consume, take a look. Like all of my watercolor paper is actually from my grandparents who passed away and my aunt and uncle know that I love art. So they've been gifting me the old paper for the last couple Christmases, um, like quote unquote from my grandparents. So like your little community actually might have more resources within it than you might think of. So before you consume first, look at what your resources are. It's a good just general life tip right there too, no matter what your hobby is. I feel like you can also think outside the box a little bit. um, And this would be more for acrylic paint as opposed to watercolor Mm -hmm. and um, the materials that you're painting on. So I have a husband who dabbles in woodworking, which we might get to that as well, but he has scrap wood. and, And so I've been considering maybe doing like little paintings on pieces of wood and things like that. So there's a lot of things that you can use for art that you may not think of originally. So yeah, definitely see what you have already. I agree with that for going out and buying new materials. Love it. Thanks. Thanks, pros. And uh, Kristen, let's go ahead. I, you've got the next art form, I guess. We'll say, and I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious to hear about this one. Sure. So really, this next art medium I wanted to talk about is kind of what sparked my desire to do this episode. I mean, I've always kind of been artsy and into crafts, but for the first time this year, I started working with resin. Have you guys ever worked with or are you familiar with resin art? So we talked about this a little, Kristen, back months ago when we started talking about this episode, but I just recently became aware of this. Obviously, I've never done it because I'm not crafty, but I have a little rosebud preserved in resin in uh, commemoration of, of my grandmother when she passed away. So I have that on a keychain that I carry around with me that I was gifted in memory of her. I had to Google and now I understand <laughs> what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Sarah, that's that's that sounds really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Resin. I w- was not what I thought it was. <laughs> so I had never worked with it before. And it's always something I've been curious about. I feel like I see it quite a bit on Instagram. I'm not on TikTok, but occasionally it goes viral on TikTok. So for those that are not familiar, I'm going to talk very briefly about epoxy resin because that is what I have used before. I think there's a couple different forms of resin, but this is a form of art that's that's really durable. It's really lightweight and you can preserve items in it like 
flowers. You can even put photographs. You can put um, pieces of jewelry, glitter. You can add pigment to it. It's clear on its own, but you can add pigment and it can be whatever color you want. And you can create lots of things with it. It can, you know, mold to different shapes and things. A little tiny bit of the science behind it, because that kind of plays in with the environmental considerations. Epoxy resin, it's a class of reactive pre-polymers and polymers that contain epoxide groups. So epoxy resins can react with themselves, or more commonly, they have a co-reactant, um, and that's often referred to as a hardener or a curative. So in most of the art supply stores that I have seen, it's referred to as a hardener. So it's a two-part system. You have your liquid resin material and you have your liquid hardener. You add the two together and it creates a chemical reaction for all my chemistry nerds out there. It's kind of cool. So you'll mix them together. You have to mix quite a long time, usually at least about five minutes or so. So that chemical reaction takes place. If you undermix, your resin does not harden. It does not cure properly. So once that reaction has been completed, it's a kind of a uniform, clear liquid. And then you can pour it into different molds and create a form of art. So that is about as simple as I can get it, but there's a lot more that goes goes beyond and I won't go into the you know specific ingredients and everything, but um, it's an interesting art form. Um, and I wanted to kind of experiment with it because uh, we lost my grandmother this year, my maternal grandmother, and there were quite a few flower arrangements at her service. And I wanted to preserve some of those flowers. So I've experimented a little bit with pressing and preserving flowers, but I've never had much luck. And so I wanted to kind of dive head first. And so I saved a lot of those flowers pressed and dried them. And then I wanted to preserve them within resin. So that way I'd be able to kind of have them and cherish them for a long time. Um, if you just dry your flowers, sometimes they can kind of disintegrate over time. So I wanted to, to kind of hold on to them for as long as I could. And I had a lot of fun with it. So I did have to buy some new art supplies, but I was able to preserve quite a few flowers and in addition to making myself a couple mementos, I made Christmas presents for all of my aunts and uncles, as well as all of my cousins, my dad and my brother as well. So uh, they all got a resin art form. Um, I made a lot of coasters, so I tried to be functional with it. I made myself some coasters. I'll show you guys, and then maybe we'll put a picture in stories. So I have, uh, there's ferns and baby's breath in my little coaster I made for myself, as well as a little tree cutout. I also made, um, for my dad, my brother, and myself, I made us each a set of dominoes. My grandma loved dominoes and wanted to do something kind of special for them as well. So another functional gift that has some ferns and flowers from her funerals. So um, I'll send some pictures for socials so listeners can see what we're talking <laughs> about. But so that, you know, was something I, I dove into and, and wanted to explore. And the environmentalist conservationist in me did have some concerns because this is literally creating plastic, <laughs> which kind of goes against a lot of my instincts. But there are, you know, some things to consider, just like any other form of art, to maybe be a little bit greener. And some of this we've kind of talked about already is know what you have and what you need to get for an art project. Um, and also some things can be borrowed from other people. For this medium in particular, you're pouring into molds. And so if you can borrow friends or family uh, that have the molds that you need for like a coaster, for example, that can cut down on some of the waste. And then you also have to be careful of disposal. So the liquid resin and hardener are hazardous materials. So anything left over from a project, you have to leave it to cure and harden, and then you can throw it out in the garbage. But any uh, liquid has to be disposed of with hazardous waste. 
And then your end product is a plastic and it cannot be recycled. So making sure you're being purposeful with what you're making. So I tried to make things that were kind of functional um, and had, you know, a little bit of meaning behind it, um, just like your keychain. Another thing that I did in particular is I, I have the reusable silicone molds for my coasters and I plan on sharing them. Um, my aunt might be interested in kind of dabbling with this. And so I'm going to share all my supplies with her so she can kind of try it out and doesn't have to buy her own. And then I also made sure to buy a silicone cup to do my mixing in. A lot of people online, all the tutorials and things, a lot of people will be using like plastic disposable cups. Um, that's probably easier, but has a little bit more waste with it. So I chose to do this route so I can um, reuse over and over again. And then if there's any leftover, I just wait for it to cure and I pop it out of the cup and can throw it away. So yeah, I definitely had some some mixed feelings with this form since it was plastic, but it it did kind of bring back my, I want to say my joy of art, but it kind of did because for a while I wasn't really being creative at all. <laughs> and so I kind of sparked, sparked the creativity again. And so I'm excited to jump back into other forms. This is not something I'll be doing on a regular basis, but um, we had the leftover resin and hardener from a project my husband did. It's It was the same material we used to seal a tabletop. And so I didn't have to buy any new materials there. So I feel like it's a great example of, of you thinking about ways to be mindful about it. And these are very meaningful things that you're creating. I'm sitting here with a plastic Christmas tree behind me, which we've talked about. Like, yes, you are making these things that can't be recycled, but you are also going to keep them for a very long time. And that, you know, making these things and keeping them and reusing them lessens their environmental impact over their lifetime, if that makes sense. So I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. I, I think you might have one best Christmas gift in your family. Like, yeah. I feel like no, I don't know who could have held a candle to that. <laughs> I did make uh, nine coasters in three sets of dominoes and I made three people cry happy tears. So I think that's a win. <laughs> yeah. I think that if you can measure it in happy tears, like definitely a win. I also think that lots of people honor their loved ones in ways that we would consider unsustainable. Like I think about balloon releases. Sure. This is such a, a wonderful way to keep like, it's a keepsake. It's something that's meant to be held on to and celebrate someone long term without it like you know you're not throwing all of these into the ocean <laughs> right. it doesn't have the same direct impact right yeah sure. that's so lovely yeah, yeah. thanks yeah. for teaching us about it Kristen yeah there I I'm very very new this was the first year I tried it so if anyone listening has experience with <laughs> resin art I would love to hear from you because <laughs> there's endless amount of things you can create. And I, I've watched a lot of YouTube. <laughs> love it. Yeah, we'll definitely post some pictures so y'all can see what Kristen's talking about here too. Um, back to one that people are probably more familiar with. Let's talk about drawing. Do either of you do any drawing? I doodle. I used to draw, but it's I, probably I doodle great <laughs> knowing Knowing Casey, she doodles and it's like frameable art. I used to do a lot more drawing um, than I than I do currently. My daughter is really, really into drawing right now, so I'm I'm glad we're we're chatting about it. Yeah, and I mean these are basic things again that we anybody that uses paper ever can think about. We've talked about using uh, FSC certified paper or buying recycled paper. If you're feeling extra fun, you can go to a zoo and look for some elephant poop paper or something like that. I, you know, use all of your space. This is an easy way to teach kids to use their resources right from the beginning, um, to having your kids color on both sides of the page. Thinking about things like uh, what you're drawing with, obviously, again, you all would know, but you, there's different types of pencils. You could do markers, you could do pens, you can do charcoal. I didn't look up a lot of things for all of these, so shout out your, your thoughts if you guys have them. For what you've used but obviously same thing with pencils there, there are different types there are wood pencils plastic pencils you can do aluminum graphite and rubber pencils even again try to avoid your plastics look for things that are have 
something like the FSC certified logo on them. Quick tips when you're thinking about drawing. There are a few programs. I don't know how widespread they are, so I apologize. You should have looked this up beforehand. I do know a Crayola sometimes does mm -hmm. recycling programs uh, for things like markers. Yes. My daughter goes through so many art supplies so quickly, and she's always like, Mom, my markers are out of ink. I can't do this. I can't do that. So kind of do a quick Google search on some of those um, art supply recycling programs. Crayons as well. Yeah, you can find yeah. recycling programs for crayons. Good tip. And we also have on the crayon wavelength to kind of keep my daughter occupied. We've taken like broken crayons and taken the paper off and melted them in little silicone molds to make new crayons. Yeah. And so that's a fun activity too if you have kids you might want to give that a shot. And Kristen, you made a really good point about recycling drawings. So recycling paper that has been drawn on, again, not really a thing that I had thought of. And I had sort of just assumed that the answer was yes. But I think that I wrongly assumed this. For ink, it's fine. So pen, pencil, yes, you can recycle those papers, not paints. So if you're painting on paper, that paper can no longer be recycled. And I think for crayons too, actually, which was a surprise to me with thinking about kids, but because of the wax, mm -hmm. that is actually not recommended to be put in your regular recycling. Now you can look locally and I think there may be some ways that you can like actually like you have to like basically break down the paper or something like that, but you can't you, or should not just take a crayon drawing and put it in the recycling bin. So that's a that's a tip for people with kids out there. That is an um, excellent point. So thank you for doing that thank research. Thank you for bringing that. I mean, that, that was like five minutes worth of research right there. So again, yeah. you, can, you can look locally, but that's that's what I came up with. Yeah, I figured paint was a no, but now I'm going to have to look really carefully on what my daughter used on the paper before recycling it. I mean, we can only keep so many and sometimes I have to like sneakily recycle them because <laughs> everything is a treasure at this age yeah. and she comes home with a dozen papers every day. And so we keep some and hang them up. I'm not a monster. We hang a lot up, but a lot goes in the recycling bin. I've also um, tried composting some. Now that has just been the pencil drawings, I think. Yeah, because I wonder if you can't do that with crayons too. Yeah, I would assume not. Yeah. Um, but I'm always looking to add more brown into my compost. So I do that occasionally as well. When she's not looking, I will tear up <laughs> and compost some of her drawings. Am I a bad mom? No. <laughs> I think that's just the practicalities of of motherhood is my understanding. I also wonder if there are like secondary crafts that you could do potentially with kids' drawings, like making paper airplanes yeah. or like ripping them up to then make them into collages or things like that. Um, Cause I remember doing that with like construction paper when I was a kid is like gluing them down with Elmer's glue and making like little mosaic-y things. So. Good call. I love that. Hmm. Good examples. I'm yeah. going to spend my next week researching what to do with <laughs> old crayon drawings, even though I have no children and no crayon drawings. <laughs> so the homework is going to be to create a collage. We all all adults yeah. listening, Bring your create a collage and tag us. Yeah. Oh my yes. gosh, that'd be so fun. Please do that. Um, all right, guys, we're already running long. I knew this was going to happen with all three of us. I do really quick want to mention woodworking, though, as another art form. One of you briefly mentioned it. I can't remember which one of you now. Kristen, Kristen did, but my cousin oh, yes. Ben, who's an avid listener of our podcast, is Hi, also ben. a woodworker. And Hi, Ben. For Christmas, we got him a book about foraging for woodworking projects. So that cool. I know is an option. I know very little about it, but <laughs> it Future gives episode. you tips about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mm -hmm. know very little about it too, but my brother, also named Ben, not an avid listener <laughs> of our podcast, but, and I don't know that he does it much anymore, but he got into doing some, I, I, I mean, I guess you would call it woodworking. I've always had it hanging behind me. Uh, when we uh, podcast here, he made me, he was making stuff and selling it for a little while, but he made me a state, uh, one of the every state that I've lived in, in the United States, 
out of reclaimed pallet wood. So he would just go find old pallets and turn them into, like, like they're beautiful. Like, I, I love them so much. I can post pictures of, of that, too. So I thought that was really cool. And even the sign that I have hanging with it was one that I bought, but that's, like, painted on um, old barn wood or, or something like that. Um, so you can find a lot of reclaimed wood out there. Of course, once again, FSC um, certified wood, you can also look for that, too. And then you can look local and just kind of research what are the more environmentally friendly types of things to look for for your next project. Because I know there are different types of wood depending on what you are looking to do also. Also look up the laws if you're on like certain parklands and stuff like that. Some areas you can't forage for wood. So make sure that you like know what the regulations are on that. I, I have not done any research on this in a while, but... For those that are creating uh, pallet art, some of those pallets are treated with all kinds of chemicals. So just be wary, um, do a little research on where you get your pallets from would be my suggestion there. You could make a lot of cool things with pallets. Just get a little information before you use them on projects that are going in your home. Noted. I know we, we want to wrap this up kind of quickly, but I do want to get through this one last little sort of piece here and then flip the script real quick to um, to think of art and conservation in a different way. There are also, Kristen, you kind of refer to it as sustainable or zero waste art. So thinking about things like using like driftwood or things like that, other um, sort of natural materials. I also was thinking about things like snare art so there are some organizations that will collect wire snares, which is an illegal method of hunting. In, and this is more common in certain parts of the world, but conservation organizations might collect snares and then they have figured out ways to use this wire to create different art sculptures, oftentimes employing local people in the community and then benefiting the, the communities from the sale of those art projects. A couple of conservation organizations that I've come across over the years that do this, there's one called the KINAV Conservation Foundation, and that's, you can look up KINAV, it's K-A-I-N-A-V conservation.org to find out more about them. And then Painted Dog Conservation, another great conservation organization, paintedog.org, you can look up and learn more about that. And some zoos, even here in the United States, will sell snare art, too. So that's something that you can uh, look for if you're interested in some of that, too. It's really cool looking stuff, oftentimes animal-shaped sculptures and things like that. There's also an organization called Washed Ashore that will collect plastic materials from the ocean. They are, I believe, over on uh, the West Coast, and they will collect plastics locally from their area and make amazing sculptures. And we're talking like big sculptures. A lot of times it's aquatic animals that they'll make sculptures of, uh, but you can look them up, washedashore.org. And it's really cool because you can look at these amazing sculptures, but then you can pick out like, oh, there's a toothbrush or there's like a part of a flip-flop or a hairbrush or something like that, that they have literally collected from the ocean shores to, to make these sculptures. So all of their sculptures are made from things that they collect. And so that's really cool to reduce the waste, make art out of these otherwise wasted materials and raise awareness all at the same time. So art can kind of be incorporated into conservation efforts. Yeah, I think also if you are an artist and you're listening, I think, Kristen, you've donated some of your art to raise money for cheetah conservation before. So if you're a talented person like that, that is an option out there. Or if you're someone who like makes sales out of your art, that's also something you could like raise money. 10% goes to conservation. A lot of people involved in the animal care world do that. Yeah. And there are lots of, I've, I've seen multiple conservation organizations that do do things like those art auctions you guys are probably familiar with joel sartori he does a photo art project where he goes around and takes amazing pictures lots of different endangered animals uh, to raise awareness and also uh is i think the co-founder or co-founder of the international league of conservation photographers so these are people who have 
a passion around photography and conservation. And so he's been able to marry those two uh, loves of his. And then I think it's, you know, worth noting that like visual art is important in conservation education. So art is a way to make people feel things. And that's like an organization like Washed Ashore, that's part of what they're playing on. But even thinking about graphics, you know, if you visit a zoo, what are those graphics eye-catching to you or things now that conservation organizations are posting on social media, graphic design, all of that is art. So I feel like art can be really, really a, a really powerful tool for conservation. And that's really important. And then I did just really want to mention too that Art is often inspired by nature, and in in my view, we've talked about this from the beginning. Nature is art <laughs> to a certain degree. Like nature is beautiful. Kristen, some of those things that you were showing us that you made, you used natural materials. We make art depicting natural places. There's even some idea that even just looking at artwork of natural scenes is beneficial for your health, reducing your stress and that sort of thing. So I don't know, it's all just, I feel like art and nature are very connected. And so when you're doing art, it's great if you can be thoughtful about protecting nature. And I think that nature can be uh, inspiring to our art as well. It's all connected. Absolutely. And for a lot of people, art is is kind of an escape. Um, it has the ability to take you to a, another place and increase your mood. And it, it's been helpful for me personally, especially this year. It's kind of like an emotional outlet. So um, it's important in a lot of ways. But I, I do try to mesh the two together, my love of nature and my love of art as much as I can. And donating to conservation organizations when I can, or at least using my art to kind of advertise different animals in need and things like that. And I'll try to share a couple photos of, of some projects that I've done as well. Yes, please. Well, friends, anything else to add to the discussion here before we break for our wrap up and challenge? Make things. Mm. Do it. Like, I think that um, whether you're good or you're bad at it, whether you've got a lot of resources available to you or you don't, don't be afraid to make art. And these are just little tips that can help you marry, you know, nature with it. But this is something you can incorporate in your 15 minutes of time outside. Um, you can go walk in the park, sit on a bench and draw the leaves. You could do a leaf rubbing. There's so many ways to just like engage with the natural elements of art. And uh, there shouldn't be any sort of like barriers to skill level or anything like that. Do it. It'll make you feel better. I promise. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Casey. As the non-artist, I'll do my best. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for the discussion. Stick around, everybody. We will be right back with our challenge of the week. Well, thanks, Kristen, for giving us a, a nice topic to all reunite on. Before we go into our challenges for the week, if you're new to us, every week we're going that we do our podcast, we're going to give you a challenge um, related to the topic to try and be a little greener. Um, but speaking of that, we wanted to update you on what kind of the schedule is moving forward. So I'm like looking at Sarah, like confirming that my <laughs> my idea is the same as hers. Uh, what we're hoping to do is we are hoping to be back on a regular schedule this year for 2024. It is going to be every other week instead of every week between baby needs and editing for Sarah and potentially in some cases scheduling between three people. Uh, we're going to give ourselves a little bit more time between episodes to be able to give you the best quality content that we can and take the pressure off of ourselves a little bit as we go into the new year. So we're back. We're going to be back on a regular basis. You're just not going to hear our voices every single week. And we'll be back on social media too. Again, that's that's my bad dropping the ball there, but we will be back on social media. And once we have our schedule sort of finalized, we'll certainly put that out there as of the recording of this. 
not quite sure exactly when this first episode is going to drop, and then we'll pick our drop days and get back on a regularly scheduled day of the week. But we will be coming at you uh, every other week this year. So we're excited. And it, so Casey and I will be back uh, as the, your your regular host. Uh, but we love Kristen so much and we're so grateful for all of her help uh, over the months last year. And so she might pop in every once in a while. Um, she's definitely a part of the Little Greener family. So uh, we appreciate you, Kristen. And how about our how about our challenge for the week? Well, I appreciate you guys. And yeah, I'll, I'll pop in. You can't get rid of me that easily. <laughs> but a couple challenges for everyone. One we've kind of alluded to already is making a sustainable art swap. This could be something very, very small, like choosing those wood-handled brushes as opposed to plastic-handled brushes, or making sure you're looking for that FSC-certified wood or paper option as opposed to something that is not certified. So those are a couple of small options when you are shopping for art supplies um, make sure you're you're doing a little bit of research and shopping around just a little bit, seeing what your options are. Your other option would be if you are purchasing artwork, maybe attend a local art fair, chat with some local artists, visit local art galleries. This is something that I'm going to try to do myself. So um, we live next to a little small town that has a lot of little art galleries that I've never visited. Like I'm talking, it's like 10 minutes down the road and I have not been into these little art galleries. And so um, chatting with local artists, asking about kind of what inspires them. If they've got artwork that seems to be nature inspired, chat with them, see if they have any green practices in place or maybe see if they support any local organizations, especially environmental organizations. Um, that can be a way to support environmental organizations through those local artists as well. So another way to give back, even if you're not doing the giving directly. So that is definitely a challenge I'm going to try myself. And we'll we'll bonus challenge on Casey's earlier, Casey's sort of wrap up comment of just get out there and do it. So try something, try, oh gosh, I have to try to do something artistic. Um, but no, get out, get out there and do it. Make some art. Give it a shot. It takes so little materials if you're in a like no purchase January situation or, you know, you're, you don't have a lot of time this week, get your 15 minutes outside and grab a piece of paper and bring it with you. Draw a bird, rub against some bark, whatever you need to do, make some art. And I think once you're over that initial hump of like, I'm not good at this. I've never tried this before. Like I get in my head a lot, but once you get over that, it can be a fun, you know, process and maybe you'll find a new hobby that you didn't have before. Maybe. Or maybe not, but give it a shot. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Uh, this brought me so much joy. It's so wonderful to be back here with y'all doing this so thanks for being here thanks for discussing thanks for listening everyone i've quite literally forgotten how to do this casey help me <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see our resources you can see them in the show notes um if you'd like to help support the podcast you can rate us on any of your listening Platforms. 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 That's that's what it is. We need to teamwork this one. <laughs> and if you would like to follow us on social media for any updates on future episodes, you can do that on Facebook at a little greener podcast, Instagram a little greener pod. Are we thinking on YouTube at all? Uh, we yes, we are on yes. YouTube. You can find us uh, a little greener podcast. You can listen to our episodes there with the automatic captions if that's helpful for you and. Hopefully, if you comment, I'll get a notification about that as well. But you can also email us, which may be the best way to actually get in contact with us, which is a little bigger podcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, suggestions, future episodes, ideas, all of that, you can find us there. And we really, really appreciate your support. And we look forward to chatting with you all throughout 2024. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Casey. Thank you. Bye, guys. Yeah. Bye.